This last weekend, though, I was at a, a pastor's conference in uh, Muncie, Indiana. How many of you have ever been to Muncie, Indiana? Anybody ever been there? There's not a whole lot to Muncie, Indiana. Um, there's trees, and there's grass, and it's green. For those of you that have never left Arizona, there are green places. And there is this thing called grass that litters fields, and they're everywhere. And, um, and so that was a nice break. And the, the week before we got there, they were in a heat wave. And it was like in the high 90s. Um, but the week we got there, I think all the pastors descending upon brought the favor of the Lord to Muncie. And it was like in the 70s, you know, in the evening. And so it was really, really nice. Um, but I was there for a pastor's conference. And, and uh, it was all about um, churches, young churches growing and, and encouraging one another. And, and different strategies for, for church growth. And not just for church growth, but for church health. How do we help us to be healthy? And so it was a fantastic time. But as I was processing the weekend, um, this is what I thought. Um, I thought the conference was good. And I thought that the Lord taught me some things that I think will be very beneficial to our church moving forward. But what was great about the weekend wasn't the words coming out of the speaker's mouths, but it was the other people that were there with me throughout the weekend. Um, Don Doe, who many of you know, who led our church um, during the transition before I was here, he was there, and um, he, he was one of the speakers, and, and I got to spend five days with Don, hearing from him and talking to him and picking his brain about life and ministry, and, and just, just not just picking his brain, but just having fun together. His son Jared was there, who's a church planter in, in Desert Ridge on the north side of, of Phoenix, and, and uh, Michael and Christy Fay, who are church planters in Arcadia City, which is just north of downtown. And, uh, and so there were all these people that were gathered together. And, and I thought, you know, the stuff that I'm hearing is good, but the people that I'm hearing it with and the conversations that we're having are even better. Because the journey, um, it's the people on the journey with us that make the journey fun. Have you ever noticed that before? That, it's, that the destination's great, and there are people that go on the journey with us that either help us along the way or have a tendency to sabotage the trip. Have you ever been on a trip with somebody and just thought their whole goal is to make this the worst week of our lives? Just sabotage, sabotage. Don't poke anybody in the ribs sitting next to you. But it's, it's, about, it's about the people. It's about the crew that we bring on our journey. Here's the truth. Here's the truth is that God designed each one of us to need people. He did. The way we are created, as in His image, God is a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He doesn't exist isolated, but but He has a community with Him. And and, and if I try to to describe what the trinity and the theology behind it, not only would I get confused, but everybody in the room would be confused. But the truth is, is that, is that he lives in, in the midst of community. And, and we're designed in his image, and so we need community also. We need those people on the journey. Not only do we need it, but Jesus needed it. How many people did follow Jesus as his disciples? Twelve. For, for, for two and a half to three years, they went with him everywhere. They were connected together. If you look in your text, Luke chapter 9, verse 18 and 28, It says this, it says, One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Alone. Circle that. Only his disciples were with him. So what was it? Was he alone or was he with his disciples? Well, Jesus considered aloneness sometimes with 
his disciples. He was going alone to pray with the Father, but he was bringing his people with him, his disciples, his inner queue, his inner crew. It says about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountaintop to pray. And so not only did Jesus pull his disciples close to, to pray, to be alone, to, to connect with the Father, but he said, he said I really need to get... In. And so he brought James, Peter, and John a little bit deeper, a little bit closer. If Jesus needed these people in his life, I think we will too. Amen? So what does that look like? What are, what are some questions we need to ask about our crew that's in our life, our circle of friends that help us. I just put four questions just real quick that we need to ask about our crew. And the first one is this, is, is who do I let influence my decisions? Who do I let influence my decisions? Look, for those of us a little bit further down the journey, one of the things that we'll recognize and we can admit is who we want to be and what we want to do five years from now is determined by what we do today, Right? If you have a goal or an idea of who you want to be or what you want to do or what you want to accomplish, it's what you do and decide today that makes that become a reality. And so who are those people in our lives that are shaping us to look and be like that? This is one of the principles that I talked to with my teenagers over the 15 years of being a youth pastor. It's like the friends that you let in your life today, your close inner circle group, are shaping you to be who you're going to be down the road. They influence you and speak into your life and shape you and teach you. and that th- they, they have a significant influence. And so we have to ask that question, who are we allowing to influence our decisions? Here's a second one. Who do I let affect my attitude? Look, there are people around us, there are people around us that influence the way we feel, think, and act in our attitude. There are fun suckers in our life. Anybody know a few fun suckers in your life that you get around them? You just like, man, I'm getting depressed just being in this same space with them. And then there are people who are life givers and you get around them and they just breathe life into you and make you feel positive and encouraged. If you surround yourself with critical, cynical, sarcastic people and that's all that they are, What's going to come out of you? Critical, cynical, sarcastic. But if you allow some positive, encouraging, uplifting people in your life, what's going to come out? Positive, encouraging, uplifting. We affect others' attitudes and they affect ours. And so we need to ask ourselves, who am I letting affect my attitude? Here's a third one. This is a little bit tougher for me because I struggle with this. But who do I seek to try to impress? Who do I seek to try to impress? I, I, who is it that I want to be like? And, and their opinion matters. And, and so I'm doing things and saying things that may not be acting out of my true self because I'm trying to impress that person. And so we need to make sure we have the right people around us that, that we're not trying to impress per se, but we're living out of our true selves. Here's the last one. Who do I let define me? Who do I let speak into my life and and say if I am a success or not? And here's what I want to say. Is that God should be the one who's speaking this truth into your life. If you're a success or if you're not. Because this truth matters. This truth of a feeling 
successful and, and feeling accomplished and feeling pointed in a right direction. Um, the only God has the right to define us and to shape us. So, so how do we do this? How do we make sure we have the right crew in our life? And I just have a few thoughts. I'm going to go through them rather quickly because it's hot and, and I want to get... I want to get somewhere cool. So, everybody tracking with me? This little rag is not going to do. It's going to be like dripping here in a second. The first one is this. Are you ready? Don't minimize the roles that others play in your life. Don't minimize the role that others play in your life. If you minimize the role that other people play in your life, you're dead in the water. There there are people who have helped you to become who you are today. Think about that. Think about the people in your life that encouraged you and spoke truth into your life and and witnessed you and shared Jesus with you. I mean, we all came to Christ because of somebody speaking hope and love and life into us. Very rarely is that an isolated event, but it's other people speaking hope. And, And when we begin to minimize that role that other people play, we shoot ourselves in the foot because what we eventually do is we eventually surround ourselves with people who drag us back. So don't minimize the role. Proverbs 13.20 says this. I actually want you to read it with me. Are you ready? Is it up on the screen? Can you get it? No, it's not today. So if it's in your notes, if you have your notes, read along with me. If you don't, just mouth with your mouth, go watermelon, watermelon. I won't be able to tell the difference. Are you ready? Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. This is a statement. If you walk with the wise, what's going to happen? You're going to become wise. They rub off on you. They encourage you. They speak into you. You become smarter and wiser. But if you walk with fools, what happens? You suffer harm. You become a fool. You get hurt. How many have ever been hurt by somebody who you allowed close into your life? Taylor Smith lived in Jasper, Georgia. I say lived because she's no longer with us. 2000, I think it was 2010 or 2013. Um, it's slipping my mind right now. She was hanging out with some friends on, a, on a one evening, and uh, they were partying. Um, they didn't find any drugs in her system, but, but the others were, were making some very, very poor choices. And um, at some point during the night, she had an asthma attack. And, and Taylor had the worst kind of asthma and, um, and, and she fell on the floor in this asthma attack. And instead of helping her, the four people that she was with rolled her on her side and pushed her into a corner. After a few hours, I guess when they came down from their high, they realized that Taylor wasn't responding. And so their next course of action was to lay her in a bathtub and put cold water on her from the shower. That didn't get her back, and so that didn't recover her. And so their next course of action was to get Taylor in a car and drive her to a mobile home park, push her out the door, and drive off, hoping that they wouldn't get caught. She ended up dying at the age of 20 because of an asthma attack. Here's the kicker. These people that she thought was her friends were two miles from a hospital. Two miles. At any point, they could have said, Taylor's in a bad way. Let's take her to a hospital. And, and if they didn't want to get caught, at least they could have pushed her out there, right? And got her some help. They didn't even call the police 
when they saw that she wasn't responding. All four of them were later caught and put in jail. After the fact, Taylor's mother later said, Taylor thought these were her friends. But they, she had no idea how little they cared for her. Don't minimize the role that other people play in your lives. The people that you surround yourself with can either push you towards greatness and towards Jesus and towards life, or they can drag you away. They can drag you away. Here's a second thought. The closer you let others in, the more sure of them you need to be. The closer you let people in, the more sure of them. Look, we all have levels of friendship, right? We have, we have levels of friendship. We have levels of people in our lives. We have, we have those that we would just call acquaintances, you know, that we bump into from time to time. Maybe it's at a grocery store or the person, you know, that checks us out regularly, you know, wherever it may be. Um, and we'd call them acquaintances, you know, people that we see on a regular basis, but we don't tell them our, our story. Then we have people that we would call our friends that are more like co-workers that we bump into, but we don't share the intimate story of our lives and, and they don't know what's really going on in our world. And, and then we have people that we would call ourselves friends and, and, and they're casual friends, right? And so if you're thinking of a spectrum, you start lining these up. Acquaintances, you know, people that we bump into regularly, co-workers, friends. And then we have those, that, and there's probably only one or two or three in our life that we would consider a close friend that we share every story and part of our life. And, and then if you're in a relationship with somebody or if you're married, that's that intimate friendship, that they know all the dark secrets. They know all the things. They know every bit of our life, right? And, and here's the thing. The closer in friendship we get, the more sure of them we need to be because we're allowing them to influence us at a deeper level. Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, above all else, Say it with me. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. The writer of Proverbs is saying, this is, guard this, because from here, everything else flows out. Guard it. Protect it. And so we have to ask ourselves these type of questions. Is this someone I can trust? It's a great question to ask about the people that God's placed in all. Is this someone that I can trust? Do they, do they have a track record? Are they dependable? Before I let them into my inner circle, before we get really close and and they begin to influence my life, you need to ask this question. Are they dependable? Do they show up? Here's a second one. Is this someone whose values I share? The closer we get in that intimacy and that closeness, the closer they are, the deeper friendship, there needs to be more sharing of values. I can be friends with anybody, right? I'm just a friendly guy. At least I hope I am. And so when I see people, I smile. I, I, you know, I try to engage the people that God brings into my life. And, and I can be friends with just about anyone. But the closer we get and the more time I spend with them, the more we need to share some values and deeper values. But I can be friends with anybody. Is what's important to me important to them? Because it's not, if it's not important to them, then they can steer me away from what God may be saying is important in my life. And so we need to share some of the same values. And it's on a scale, right? 
the, the more intimate the relationship, the more we need to share. And here's the last one. Is this someone I want to be like? Is this someone I want to be like? Because the closer you let people in, the more you become like them. Have you ever noticed that? Husband, wives, close friends, that you begin to share the same jokes and the same, just the inside things, and you realize that we're kind of becoming a little bit alike. When I'm counseling um, young couples and people getting married and, and even those that are dating, you know, one of the things that I talk about is, is this idea that who you choose for your spouse, if they don't share your same values or your same faith, you're setting yourself for a lifetime of misery. If you don't share the same values, if you don't share the same faith, they think that, you know what, I'll be able to change them. I can change them. How many of you have had that experience that you realize that you can't change anybody? You can't. Only God can change. You won't. You're setting yourself up. Is this someone that I want to be like? The more time you spend with them, the more they rub off on you, and the more you rub off on them. Here's a third thing. Surround yourself with people you need and not just the people you want. This is a doozy. Friction is good for us, right? It is. Muscles facing resistance helps them to get what? Stronger, right? You take a knife and you add a little friction to it, and what happens to it? It gets sharper, right? So, so friction is good. It, it just doesn't feel good. <laughs> Muscles, they bark afterwards. I think about the heat that that knife is going through as it's being ground out. And if it had the ability to talk, I'm sure it would be saying, hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. That doesn't feel good, but it is good. How many of you would say that you're kind of a party person? You just like a party attitude. You just party, party, party. Anybody in here? Here's the thing about party people. They love to party, right? And, and it's good for you. That's what Kathleen says. It's good for you. And here's the thing, is that party people, they like being around party people. Let's party it up, right? More party, party all the time. But here's the deal, is that, is that we also need people around us that help us to be more responsible, right? That if we're just around party people all the time, and we don't have those people to pull us back and to help us think through things, and it, we don't like them, but we need them. We don't like them, but we'd need them. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Three kinds of people we need, but we don't always like. Here's the first one. Is we need people who see things from a different perspective. We may not always like it, but we need it. We need those people that see things differently. We need those people who who have a different perspective on things and can speak into our lives and say, Hey, 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 what about this? We need people who won't let us easily quit. I need people in my life who won't let me easily quit. If they're always easy on you, you need to get someone else. You need someone around you to push you from time to time to encourage you. The first time I ran a 5K, I know this is amazing that, I, that you would, this guy had ever run one, but I have. Um, I used to be in a little bit better shape. The first time I ran a 5K, I was with my trainer. Um, his name was Cody Bobe. And um, we had been, we'd been running this track, two laps around the track, 5K. I had never ran around the track twice 
um, to go 3.125 miles, I think is what a 5K is. And, um, but I'd gone one time around, and I'd gone a quarter time around a lots of times, but I'd never gone twice around. And, and as, as Cody was hey, Jared, you've never done this before, but I think you're ready. Um, he, he was, this, this guy's incredible trainer. He said, I, I think you're ready. You don't know you're ready. You don't know that you can do this, but I know you can because I've seen everything else that you've done leading up to this point. And, and there's going to come a time during this run that you're going to want to quit, but I'm not going to let you. I was like, what are you going to do about it? I'm bigger than you are. Now, he's a lot stronger than me. He's a lot stronger than me, right, babe? I mean, he's got like chiseled physique, like huge Navy SEAL type guy, right? And uh, he says, but I'm not going to let you. And so we started running, and I got through my first lap, which I've done a lot of times, and my body just naturally started to slow up. And I was like, yeah, I think that's far enough. And Cody's like, no, 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 no. We still have another lap. And I was like, no, Cody, you don't understand. My lungs feel like they're going to rip out of my chest. Like the burning phase happened a long time ago. I literally think I'm going to have a heart attack. He's like, Jared, no, 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 you're not. I know it hurts. You're not hurting that bad. Let's keep going. And so I kept going. And then about a straightaway later, I was like, I write calf. It's He's like, you're a liar. It's not cramping. You just got to keep going. No, it's really, ah. Uh. And then a little bit further along, I was like, oh, my back. He's like, Jared, stop being a pansy. And he started slapping me on the back of the head. You can do this. Let's go. And then at one point, I started to stop. And he literally got behind me. Now, he's really strong, could run forever. Put his fist in the middle of my back and said, we're going to keep running. And we kept running. And he kept, and he said, Jared, I'm not going to let you quit. Now, when it was done, I looked like, like I was going to die, um, but I got it done. This lady walked by who had been witnessing this whole thing, and she, she, said, she said, it's so cool of you to take time to train a guy like this. And I was like, what? <laughs> I looked at her with a big smile on my face. I said, no, 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 ma'am, I'm training him. I don't know what you're talking about. And it was, it, was, it was a really, really funny moment as we, were, as we were doing this. Here's the thing, is I got done with that 5K, and then as the summer progressed, I started doing 5Ks three times a week. Because, because what I thought I couldn't do in my head, my body knew it could do in my heart. And so I kept pushing, and I kept running. And so I know somewhere in here is the ability to do a 5K. I just have to get that back out, right? But that's not going to happen if I have a bunch of people around me who let me easily quit. And it won't happen in your life either. I'm not talking about running a 5K. Maybe some of, it, some of you, it's creating a budget and, and, and living within that budget and financially making some different choices. Maybe for some of you, it's about your relationship with God and, and you've been taking the easy way out and, and it's time to surround yourself for, with a few people who are going to say, God has more for you. He wants you to serve the church. He wants you to draw close to him. He wants you to sacrificially give to him with your time and your effort and your finances and having those people around you to encourage you and to say, not only is it time for you to do this, but not only do I believe you can do it, but the Holy Spirit inside of you believes and knows you can do it. But that only happens if we surround ourselves with some people who won't let you easily quit. Here's the thing. I don't like those people sometimes, right? Right? That day when Cody was in my ear, 
I wasn't friends with Cody. I wasn't. But I need him. And we're still really good friends today. We need that. You need it. I need it. We all need it. Here's a third thought. We need people... Three kinds of people we don't always like. People who love you enough to tell you the truth. Sometimes we have to say the hard things to people. Um, and, and when we say those things, it's not because we hate you. It's because we love you. And you need people in your life who will say the loving things to you in a loving way. Even though it may be hard. There are people that we have to have in our lives who want what's best and who are willing to get our attention and who want God's best life for you. And we don't always like it and it doesn't always feel good. Um, but we all have to have it. People who, will tell, who love you enough to tell the truth. Here's a fourth thing, just real quick. I'm wrapping up. The right crew can help you overcome your failures. How many of you have ever fallen short in your life? How many of you ever messed up? Made a mistake, not made a wise choice. Here's the thing. We all fail. We all fail. We all stumble. We all trip up. We all sin, right? We all make those mistakes. But we all need people in our life, the right crew around us, who help us overcome those failures, who help us not to live in those failures or allow those failures to define who we are as people. Um, failures become fatal when we wallow in it. But the right crew, the right people can get you back on track. I love the story of David. I mean, we think of King David, we think of all of his accomplishments, right? Returning the glory of Israel, slaying Goliath, leading the people into battle. We think, man, David was the man. But David was a murderer and an adulterer. You want to talk about nasty. Here is the king that God has anointed who defeated Goliath and is now leading the people of Israel who's up on his, the top of his palace when his men were away at war. Now in those times, when an army went away to war, guess who was supposed to go with them? The king. But this king, for some reason, decided to stay home where he shouldn't have been. And he's up bathing, he's up looking at his, I don't think he was bathing, but he was looking upon his kingdom and he sees a woman named Bathsheba on her rooftop bathing. And she was beautiful. He took her in, did some adult things. Sorry, there are kids in the room. She became with child. David's decision after that was not to repent, but was to call her husband home to try, to try to conceal it. And then when he couldn't conceal it, he sent her husband to the front of the army, pulled the rest of the men back so that he would be killed by the enemy. That's called what? Murder. That's called adultery. That's called rape in a lot of different ways. David wasn't a good man. But God wasn't done with David. So he called a prophet named Nathan, who actually was the man that anointed David to be king. And listen, he, and, and Nathan tells him a, a story, a prophecy, a, a, a story, a, a parable, about, about two farmers, two, two shepherds. And one shepherd had just one little lamb. 
and, and the other shepherd had a huge flock, a huge, a huge flock of, of, of sheep and lambs. And, and, and the man who had a lot went and took the other man's lamb and offered it as a sacrifice, leaving him with nothing. When he had all of this of his own, he took this. And he said, now, David, what, what do you think about this? And look, look at your notes, 2 Samuel 12, 5 through 7. He said, David was what? Furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. And he went on to say, and and you have done this taking this man's wife when you have all of this. The scripture says that David repented. That David broke in sorrow. That David realized he was wrong. We all need, we all need those Nathans in our life that can say, hey, 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 you're off track. But, but you're not lost here. God anointed you to be king over Israel and he's not done with you. God is speaking into your life and he's not done with you. The hard thing that Nathan said pulled David back. We need to care enough to allow other people to speak into our lives. And we need to do that for others. The right crew can help us overcome our failures. Here's the last thought. Is that the right crew can motivate you to action. You know, Cody running behind me for weeks on end motivated me to be a different person and to do something that I thought I couldn't do. We all get sidetracked from time to time on our journey. We all have a tendency to slip back into comfort, right? Lazy boys are called lazy boys for a reason. We get in that recliner, we kick back the feet, it feels comfy, it feels good. And there are seasons in our life when we do need to kick back a little bit and we do need to not go and allow our bodies to rest and allow our bodies to recover. But the problem is, is that we can get stuck there. It gets too comfortable for too long. But the right crew, the right crew comes beside and says, no, 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 we've rested too long. It's time to get moving. Your muscles are beginning to atrophy. God wants to do something with your heart. God wants to do something with your mind. God wants to do something with your abilities. God wants you to make a difference in this world. It's time to get moving. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us think. I love this. Let us think of ways. Let us think. Let's get creative. Let's get out of the box. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day return is drawing near. He says, let's get creative. Let's think of ways to inspire to acts of love. And, and, and let's not neglect meeting together. I guess the early church had this problem too, right? It's like Sunday morning. We, we need some rest time, folks. He says, no, 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 no. Let's not neglect because it's in the body of Christ of being with his believers that we're inspired that we're encouraged now that the day of Christ is returning now one thing I do know 
I don't know when Christ is coming back. There's a lot of people that have lots of theories and lots of ideas. But I do know it's closer tomorrow and today than it was yesterday. Right? Every day is a little bit closer to Christ's return. Whenever that may be. If it's in my lifetime or not. And what if? What if it is tomorrow? Have I done all I could do? Am I all that God wants me to be? I don't know. I need some people in my life, and you do too, that will motivate us to action, that will inspire us to good works and good deeds.